Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, I will be talking about the flu, influenza. And specifically, I'll be talking about why the flu is often missed in older adults. It's pretty easy to miss and what you can do about this problem. So I'm recording this episode at the beginning of February 2018, and if you're in North America, you've likely already heard the news that the flu is pretty bad this year, and the Centers for Disease Control has confirmed that there's a higher than usual level of illness, hospitalizations, and even deaths. So this is a a timely moment to address why the flu is so often missed in older adults, but even if it's not a bad year. It would be good to talk about this because the reasons why the flu is easily missed in older adults does get at certain uh, just common issues that come up with the healthcare of older adults, namely the fact that older people often have different symptoms of an illness than is quote unquote typical, and also that it's just easy for things to fall through the cracks in healthcare. So the more you can learn about common conditions and problems and be prepared to give health providers a little nudge or just be prepared and equipped to double check things, the better off you can be and the more you can help your family. So that's what we'll talk about today. You may also already know that older adults have among the highest risk of falling very ill from the flu and have the highest death rates from the flu. So every year in the United States, probably millions of people are infected with flu virus and most people just get over it with time, but a certain number of people become sick enough to be hospitalized and people die also. So the Center for Disease Control estimates that every year, uh, hundreds of thousands of people are hospitalized due due to the flu, and tens of thousands die due to the flu. Generally, 10,000 to 50,000 Americans die of the flu every year. Too early to know what the count is for today, but but hopefully you have already heard that the flu can be very serious and even cause death in older people. So we're going to focus now on what a lot of people don't know, which is that influenza is easily and often missed in older adults. Now, what do I mean by missed? I mean a couple of things. So first of all, older adults or their family members may not realize that an older person has the flu. And the reason for this is that many older people don't develop quote-unquote typical influenza symptoms, and in a little bit, I'll go over what those are and what are the symptoms that older people might have instead. Since an older person or family might not realize an older person has the flu, they might not seek medical care or they might go and get it a bit late. And that's a problem because the sooner you start treating the flu with anti-influenza antiviral medications, the more likely it is that those will reduce the severity of the illness or prevent a death. So 
That's one problem. And then the other problem in terms of the flu being missed in older adults is that it turns out that health professionals often fail to test older people for influenza, even when they're sick enough to be hospitalized and even when they otherwise actually meet the guidelines of who the Center for Disease Control says that we should have a high suspicion for considering the flu, potentially treating preemptively. And this phenomenon which many of us in geriatrics were already aware of, but it was recently brought to my attention because a study was just published in January 2018 in the Journal of the American Geriatric Society. They studied four hospitals in Tennessee a few years ago, and they found that older adults who were sick were less likely to be tested for influenza than younger adults. And so they did notice that flu testing was underused by the providers. What was interesting about that study is that the research investigators had their own criteria determining who they were going to test. So so they they actually tested a lot of people independently and then left the uh, regular hospital docs to sort of do their usual practice and decide whether or not to test patients for influenza and to treat. And so they were sort of able to to compare a little bit what their findings were. And I'll talk a little bit more about that study later in the episode, because there were some very interesting things that, that I would love to share with you that I think are relevant. But to come back to the misflu. So in short, the problem is that older adults and families may not realize an older person has the flu. And then even when a sick older person does come to see a health provider, that health provider may not think to test for the flu. And again, this is a serious issue, especially when we're in a bad flu season as we are this year. So this year, we have a variant of influenza virus going around that is making quite a lot of people sick has caused a certain amount of um, pediatric deaths. They count deaths among older people in a different way, so we'll know that later on. And so especially when it's a bad flu season, it's important to be on top of recognizing the flu. Now, why is this so important? The main problem is that if uh, recognition of potential influenza is delayed or even totally missed, in a high-risk person, such as an older person age 65 or older, everybody who's age 65 or older is considered high-risk when it comes to influenza. If the flu is missed, then that means the person doesn't get treated or gets treated late with anti-influenza drugs, such as oseltamivir, which is uh, the brand name Tamiflu. So especially when it comes to those older adults who seem especially vulnerable. So those would be the ones who have chronic illnesses, especially those affecting the heart or lungs, or are uh, especially old or seem frail. You don't want to miss that chance to take anti-influenza drugs. These drugs can't guarantee that an older person will avoid a hospitalization or even death from influenza, but they do improve one's chances of surviving a bad flu illness. And They are most likely to work when they're given within 48 hours of the symptoms starting, the earlier the better. So the bottom line is that when flu activity is widespread, especially if it's a bad year for the flu, families need to be prepared to recognize potential flu, and you should also be prepared for the possibility that health providers might not think to test for influenza if you leave it up to them. So it's good to be prepared to ask for it. In the rest of this episode, here are the specific things that I want to cover to help you be better prepared to recognize 
the flu in an older person and help that person get the right care. So what I'll cover is first, what are the usual symptoms of the flu and what we call quote unquote influenza-like illness. That's actually a term used by the Centers for Disease Control. Then we'll talk about what are common symptoms of influenza in older adults, including the quote unquote atypical way that older adults might manifest influenza. We'll also talk about why older adults often don't show typical influenza symptoms. We'll talk about what's known about older people and influenza testing based on past research studies. And also we'll cover what the Center for Disease Control is currently recommending regarding influenza diagnosis and treatment. And then at the very end, I'll review the key takeaways and I'll offer you my top suggestions on what you can do if an older person falls ill during influenza season and you want to make sure that the flu isn't missed. Now, I do have a related article for this episode. It'll be in the show notes. And then if you want to learn more about the basics of what is influenza and how the vaccine works, I'll also link to the article I wrote last fall which was flu shots for older adults, what to know and do. And in case you're wondering, if you have not yet been vaccinated for the flu this season, it is not too late. Now, we do recommend usually that people get vaccinated in October before the flu season really kicks in. That's in part because uh, once you're vaccinated, it takes about two weeks for the body to develop protective antibodies. So getting vaccinated in the fall is best, but If you or your older relative has not been vaccinated, the CDC still recommends that you go get vaccinated at this point, and that's because the flu is often active well into the spring, such as March, April. There have even been influenza outbreaks some year that have happened as late as May. So yes, if you've been concerned about all the flu activity around you, it's not too late to get a vaccine, and you can find a place near you offering the vaccine at vaccinefinder.org. And as I explained in the previous, uh, I did the podcast episode on flu shots also in the fall, which was episode 50. As I mentioned in that episode, if an older person is going to get a flu shot, the research suggests that they're likely to get better protection from the higher dose flu shot. So just something to consider if you haven't yet gotten the flu shot and are thinking of going to get one. And now let's go into how you can recognize the flu in an older person. So we'll start with what are the usual symptoms of influenza. And here's how the CDC defines influenza-like illness. Their criteria are that the person should have fever, which they define as a temperature of 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be 37.8 Celsius or higher. And then that the person should also have either cough or sore throat. And then lastly, there should be no other known obvious cause for these symptoms. So that would be the definition of influenza-like illness. Now, the thing is, these symptoms on their own are what we in medicine would call nonspecific. And that means that they're not specific to the flu, and they can easily be caused by a variety of other illnesses, such as a bad cold virus, strep throat, which is usually more of an issue in younger adults than older people, or even a bacterial pneumonia, or even an exacerbation of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease for people with chronic illnesses. 
And so especially if it's not flu season or if flu activity is not widespread and somebody has those symptoms, we would be less likely to assume this is the flu. So symptoms always have to really be taken into the greater context of of what is the, the background likelihood that somebody might have a certain type of illness. Since the symptoms of influenza-like illness are nonspecific, health providers may decide to test a person for influenza, especially if the test results might affect the decision to treat with uh, antiviral medications or with antibiotics, or if it might help contain an outbreak for somebody who lives in a facility, and so forth. Now, along with fever and then cough or sore throat, there are also some other symptoms that are considered fairly common for what we call uncomplicated influenza. And the most common ones are nasal congestion, so stuffy nose, runny nose, and then body aches, so achy muscles throughout um, the body. Sometimes people describe it as feeling as if they were run over by something. Now, how about symptoms of influenza in older adults? Well, it turns out that many older adults do develop typical symptoms when they fall ill from influenza, but it's also quite common for older adults to be sick from the flu and not have fever, cough, or sore throat. Instead, older adults with the flu often experience the following problems due to influenza. And we can really categorize them into two types. So the first type would be common, nonspecific signs of illness in aging adults. So these include symptoms such as weakness, dizziness, uh, which I, in a way, think of in quotes because it's a term that people often use when they are feeling weak or if they get lightheaded when they're standing. But often as medical professionals, when people tell us dizziness, we ask to find out if they're referring to a feeling of the room spinning or tilting under them, which we would call vertigo, versus um, dizziness, meaning, again, lightheadedness, weakness, and just feeling like they might pass out. Another common nonspecific sign would be loss of appetite. Uh, There's also malaise, which basically means feeling blah or unwell. And then last but definitely not least, a very common nonspecific sign of illness in older people is confusion or worse than usual mental function. So this is delirium, which I bring up periodically on the podcast and on the website because it's such a common sign of illness in older people. So those are the main uh, nonspecific signs of illness. And then in a little while, I'll explain why those tend to come up for older people when they get sick. The other category of uh, symptoms that older adults often have if they get the flu is a worsening of a chronic heart or lung condition. This could include an exacerbation, uh, which people sometimes call a flare, of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And this often means increased shortness of breath, increased wheezing, or increase uh, production of sputum, that stuff that you kind of cough up from your lungs. They might also have an episode of worsening heart failure. So for people, usually they already have a diagnosis of heart failure. They might feel worse and get worse shortness of breath or increasing leg swelling or increased shortness of breath when they exert themselves. Or for those people who have a history of asthma, they might experience a worsening of their asthma symptoms. 
Now, how common is it for older adults to be sick from the flu and not show typical flu symptoms? Well, in that study that I mentioned, just published last month on influenza testing in older adults, as I said, the researchers independently tested all adults hospitalized with any kind of respiratory diagnosis or shortness of breath for influenza. They also included adults who had a fever that hadn't been clearly assigned to another diagnosis. And what they found is that among the people who they found had study-confirmed influenza, for the older adults, only 74% of them had influenza-like illness. So had had those um, signs of fever, plus cough or sore throat. So 26% of people aged 65 and older who were sick enough to be in the hospital and had influenza did not have those influenza-like symptoms. Now, what's interesting is that a fair number of younger people, because they were in the study also, also failed to show the typical symptoms. So for, for having typical symptoms, when you had proven influenza for people aged 50 to 64, uh, 83% had typical symptoms. So that means 17% did not. And then for people aged 18 to 49 years, uh, it was 81% had typical symptoms. And so 19% did not. So it's actually not incredibly exceptional for older adults to be the ones to not show typical symptoms. But older adults are the ones with more at stake if we miss influenza or fail to treat it because they're more likely in general to die if they're sick enough to be hospitalized and they have influenza. In short, in a real-world study, 26% of hospitalized older adults with proven influenza did not have typical influenza-like illness symptoms of fever plus cough or sore throat. So you may be wondering, why is this that so many older people don't show typical influenza symptoms? This is basically a core concept in geriatrics. As people age, they become less likely to have quote-unquote typical symptoms for a variety of infections, and then also for some other types of illnesses. And this is basically due to two common issues that come up as people get older. One is the aging of the immune system, and then the other is what we would call decreased physiologic reserve. And I'm going to explain that term in a moment. So let me start with uh, the aging of the immune system. I won't go into it in detail. I will share a link in the show notes if you want to read a little bit more about it. But basically, we know that as people get older, aging brings on changes to the immune system. At what age those changes come on and how exactly they come on varies from person to person. It's definitely related to your genetics and how you lived your life and sort of what influenced uh, your gene and the cellular function of your body. But basically, from a practical perspective... Since many common symptoms of illness actually reflect the immune system's response to an infection, a less vigorous or otherwise altered immune system will tend to generate less prominent symptoms or unusual symptoms. So for instance, fever is a very classic sign that the immune system is at work fighting infection, but studies have shown that older adults are less likely to have fever when they're ill with influenza. Now, some studies indicate that a fair number of older adults have a fever, it's just not as high as younger adults, and so some experts have suggested a kind of lower cutoff for defining um, fever as part of influenza-like illness in older adults, but that hasn't yet sort of been agreed on and confirmed. So 
Aging of the immune system means that it's common for older people to be sick and show less quote-unquote typical symptoms. Now, what about decreased physiologic reserve? So physiology is a uh, medical and healthcare term that basically means the way the body works. And so your physiologic reserve means how much sort of extra ability to do its work that the body has. And it turns out the human body is just an amazing bit of engineering, as is true for, you know, the bodies of most animals and plants too. It's designed to maintain stability and the ability to carry out key functions, despite the fact that our environment is constantly changing and is often actually putting pressures on our body that want to knock us off balance. So to keep us going, our body is designed to kind of push back and adapt to the presence of stress or illness. And that's why even if one is sick, one is usually able to stand up, think straight, and also your key organs keep functioning adequately. So this is especially true when we are younger. So how does the body manage to do this? And this is also called sometimes maintaining homeostasis, maintaining the stability of the inner body. So to do this, the body relies on a couple of things. One is a whole intricate system of detecting problems and then working to correct them quickly. So for instance, if your blood pressure drops, uh, which it can do if you are very sick or for other reasons, your heart generally will speed up to help maintain adequate blood flow throughout the body. Another way that the body maintains the stability is that when you're young, we could say, you know, at baseline, at your best, the organs are designed to have what we might call extra capacity. So this means that they don't usually have to work at their maximum ability to do their job reasonably well. So usually your brain doesn't need to have all of its neurons active and working well in order to do the thinking that's required for daily life. And your kidneys are able to keep your blood adequately filtered to prevent problems, even if they lose some of their filtering capacity. The kidneys are actually pretty impressive. They can lose a fair bit of filtering capacity and still be doing the job that they need to do, which involves uh, removing toxins and keeping the pH of your blood within a certain range, among other things. So it turns out that from a physiologic perspective, from a perspective of how your body works, you kind of have peak resilience and effectiveness usually uh, when you're in your mid-20s, and that's when you have the most capacity to respond effectively to stressors. All your organs are working, assuming you're healthy, are working well and have lots of extra capacity. The body systems for coordinating and correcting things when there's a problem work really well. So at that time, you have lots of physiologic reserve. And so although it is possible for a young person to become so sick that they become delirious or they can't stand up, it usually takes a very severe illness to do this. But alas, as we get older, uh, most organs develop some wear or damage. It's a combination of you know aging. We won't go into exactly what it means to age at the cellular organ level right this moment. But, but yes, things uh, slowly are working less well. And then people also have often developed chronic diseases at some point in their life. And those diseases can create inflammation or wear and tear on the various body systems. So all of this means that, first of all, each individual organ will usually have less extra you know, capacity and reserve than they used to. And then those systems for coordinating 
and correcting uh, work less well. And so overall, you're just less able to maintain stability and function in the face of illness. Now, physiologic reserve decreases with age, but again, it's extremely individual. And so two people of the exact same age might have different levels of reserve because it just depends on their health situation and other aspects of the individual person. But the trend overall for everybody is that as we get older, our bodies and minds become less resilient. And so hence, when an illness makes us sick and stresses our body, we can end up showing signs of what I think of as the body going a bit haywire. So again, delirium is a great example of this. So this is that condition of uh, new confusion, or for some people, if they already had some chronic confusion, it would be worse than usual mental functioning that comes up when older adults are sick or under stress, very commonly comes up when they are hospitalized, very common after surgery, but also comes up for people who are not in the hospital and just have become uh, sick. And again, the more sort of vulnerable your brain is, so if your brain has accumulated some damage due to the sort of underlying changes that are eventually going to turn into Alzheimer's or another dementia or other forms of chronic damage, then it takes less to tip you into frank confusion when you get sick. And likewise, if you don't have a lot of reserve, then you might get weak or blah very quickly when you get sick, but not be showing those typical symptoms of the flu or another infection. Similarly, uh, for people who do have chronic conditions affecting their heart or lungs, the fact that those heart and lung conditions get worse when they have the flu or other illnesses is also a reflection of decreased reserve. So again, there are signs of the body starting to malfunction because an illness stressor has come up and the body's ability to maintain overall function and stability can't quite keep up. So that's a large part of why older adults often don't show typical influenza symptoms. So let's move on now to what we know about older adults and influenza testing. So it's not exactly news or a recent scientific breakthrough that older adults often exhibit vague symptoms or a worsening of their chronic conditions when they're ill with influenza. And I think if you ask them, just about every health provider knows that most hospitalizations and deaths related to influenza occur in older adults. Despite this, the research does often find that health providers often fail to order influenza testing for sick older adults. And the CDC has also said that the antiviral medications for influenza are generally underused. I won't go into the exact why. I mean, this is a quality problem for sure, and the healthcare system is trying to work on it. But for the time being, you should just know that for whatever reason, historically, uh, healthcare providers have often failed to test older adults for influenza and failed to treat them for influenza when they could have. So it's just an important thing to keep in mind. Now, let me tell you what the CDC is currently recommending regarding influenza diagnosis and treatment, and then we'll go into the suggestions about what you can do if you or an older person gets sick and you want to make sure that the flu is not missed. Now, the CDC always has lots of useful information, both for the public and for healthcare providers on its website, 
But since we're in the midst of a particularly bad flu year uh, here in North America for 2017-2018, at the end of this past December, the CDC issued a special health advisory on the diagnosis and treatment of influenza. I'll post a link to it in the show notes. It is written for health professionals, but I think even for the public, it could be useful to see because it summarizes what they think is most important for health providers to know. And tellingly, the advisory notes that it's being issued for the following reasons. So one, quote, to remind clinicians that influenza should be high on their list of possible diagnoses for ill patients because influenza activity is increasing nationwide. And then two, to advise clinicians that all hospitalized patients and all high-risk patients, either hospitalized or in the outpatient setting, so that means not yet in the hospital, all hospitalized patients and all high-risk patients with suspected influenza should be treated as soon as possible with an antiviral medication specific for influenza. Now, I want to share with you some other points that I thought were especially important in the advisory and especially useful for the public to know. Other important points that the CDC makes include, one, evidence from previous influenza seasons suggests that antivirals are underutilized in outpatients and hospitalized patients with influenza who are recommended for treatment. So in other words, it's what I was just saying. In the past, doctors have often failed to offer antiviral influenza treatment to patients who should have gotten it. Another key point made, all hospitalized, severely ill, and high-risk patients with suspected or confirmed influenza should be treated with antivirals. So right now, there's not a lot of resistance to the antiviral medication for influenza, and the CDC notes that everyone who's high-risk should be offered treatment even if they are not in the hospital, and they do note that adults age 65 and older are considered high risk, as are people with chronic pulmonary, cardiovascular, or kidney disease. Next key point, antiviral treatment should be started as soon as possible after illness onset and should not be delayed even for a few hours to wait for the results of testing. So the CDC notes that the clinical benefit is the greatest when antiviral treatment is started as early as possible after illness onset. So This means that, you know, you as a patient or family member shouldn't delay in contacting your doctor or other healthcare professionals if an older person is sick and you realize it could be the flu, and that also that uh, healthcare provider should not dilly-dally or dawdle or say, well, let's wait for a test before giving antiviral treatment. The research evidence suggests that the antiviral treatments are most effective when they're started within 48 hours. The sooner, the better. But there is some evidence that even if it's been more than 48 hours, some people might benefit. So if it's been more than two days, you should still go and seek care. But really, earlier is better. So you want to be very careful about waiting a few days to see how how things work out. So next key point that I wanted to share with you from the CDC advisory, a history of current seasonal influenza vaccination does not exclude a diagnosis of influenza. So Just because somebody's been vaccinated doesn't mean they might not be sick from the flu, doesn't mean they can't get hospitalized or even die from the flu. The current estimate of the CDC is that this year's vaccine was probably 30% effective against the particular strain of influenza, which seems to be causing most of the severe illness 
It's a strain of influenza A, which is called H3N2. If your older parent or older relative has been vaccinated for the flu, you don't want to be thinking, oh, well, they were vaccinated, so what they have can't be the flu. And their health providers shouldn't be thinking that either. Another key point to share is that the CDC says, during influenza season especially, high-risk patients should be advised to call their health provider promptly if they have symptoms of influenza. And see, now you're all in the know, and so you know that the symptoms of influenza are not just fever and then cough or sore throat, but could also be an older person feeling blah, having delirium, being weak, or having a worsening of their heart or lung condition. So the CDC does recommend contacting health providers promptly, and they also note that providers may want to set up special phone lines so that high-risk people can discuss their symptoms by phone, and even says that providers may want to consider providing a prescription for antivirals prior to an office visit. Now, is your doctor going to have a special flu hotline? Probably not, although maybe, especially if they're part of a big organized health system. But I think, you know, the point to keep in mind here is that the CDC does think it's reasonable for you to call to discuss your symptoms and that it would also be reasonable for a doctor to, if you sound like you might have the flu, and especially if you're a high-risk person, to actually phone in a prescription and have you start the medication even before you come in for an office visit. And if you're high-risk, you probably should come in for a visit so that they can make sure that it doesn't look like you're getting so sick that you would benefit from hospitalization. Now for the last part that I want to share with you related to the CDC advisory. They do have a section on different types of influenza tests and a detailed page for clinicians. The main thing that I think you should know about influenza tests, if you're an older adult or a family member or just a member of the public, is that they're not all created equal. And importantly, some of them, some of the commonly used fast ones, are known to have a significant false negative rate. So this means that certain flu tests have a non-negligible chance of missing people who actually have the flu. So the person is infected with influenza, but the test will say negative. That's because most tests are not perfect and will have a certain level of uh, false positive or false negative rate. But for a good test, the best test, it'll be low. A test can also be falsely negative if the nasal swab is incorrectly done. So right now, the most accurate influenza tests are molecular assays. They test for the actual presence of viral proteins in a person's nasal secretions. And if the sample is correctly collected, they have a quite low false negative rate. So if they say the person doesn't have influenza, you can be pretty confident. But it is still pretty common for healthcare providers in the community to use an older and cheaper test that's called a rapid influenza diagnostic test. It provides a quick answer in 10 to 15 minutes, but it's less accurate and has a higher false negative rate. And since the CDC is aware of this issue, they actually specifically state that clinicians should be aware that a negative rapid influenza diagnostic test result does not exclude a diagnosis of influenza in a person with suspected influenza when there's been influenza activity in the community. So if you get that rapid test and it's negative, but a person is sick and still uh, may have the flu, especially if it's been going around where you are, healthcare providers are still supposed to consider treating 
with antiviral medications and potentially consider a follow-up test with one of the more accurate tests. Okay, so we've covered a lot of information in this episode, and let's try now to wrap it up with some, some key points. We're going to talk about what to do if an older person falls ill during influenza season. Let me start by summarizing what I think are the key takeaways that I hope you'll take from this episode. So first, when the flu is widespread, be quick to suspect that a sick older person might have the flu even if he or she doesn't have a fever, a cough, a sore throat, body aches, or any of the other quote-unquote typical flu symptoms. Key takeaway number two, in an older person, feeling weak or confused or more confused than usual may be the only sign of having the flu. And in people who have chronic conditions related to their heart and lungs, a worsening of that chronic lung problem or heart problem may also be the only sign of having the flu. Third key takeaway, influenza can easily become a life-threatening illness in older adults and other high-risk groups of people. So prompt recognition of potential influenza is really important because you want to start treating with anti-influenza medication as early as possible. That's key to reducing the likelihood of serious illness and death. The key point number four, the anti-influenza medications are most effective when they're started as soon as possible after the onset of illness, preferably within 48 hours. Per the CDC, treatment should not be delayed while a provider is waiting for the result of an influenza test. And if a rapid influenza test is used, it's important for the doctors to bear in mind that it's not always accurate, there are some false negatives, and so it should not be used to rule out the flu if there's been a lot of influenza activity in the area. And then last key takeaway, research does suggest that some healthcare providers may fail to recognize or test for influenza in older adults. So don't assume that the health providers will order the test and start antivirals per the CDC recommendations. Many of them will, but some of them may not. Otherwise, in terms of what to do if an older person falls ill, I mean, I think this is especially important for people to keep in mind if they're family caregivers or if they're concerned about another person, because if an older person gets sick from the flu, they often will not be in a position to remember what is the best thing to do or to take action. So you want to think about it for people around you and for yourself, if you're able to, you know, basically while the flu is widespread, be quick to suspect that a sick older person might have the flu. And remember that they can be quite sick from the flu, even if they don't have that fever, cough, sore throat, body aches, or typical flu symptoms. And the moment an older person uh, seems uh, noticeably ill, you don't want to delay. You don't want to say, well, we'll give it a few days and, and see how it goes. Because if it is the flu, you're really missing that window of opportunity to take the medication and make a difference. And then lastly, be proactive about asking for influenza testing and for the antivirals. Now, some providers may opt to just treat with the antivirals and not do the testing. That's not, that's not necessarily unreasonable, but it's always a good idea to ask them to clarify their reasoning and why they've decided to do or not do the testing. If they don't do any testing and don't offer antivirals, then I would definitely recommend asking extra questions. 
Now, there is a, an important exception to all this, which is that I'm making these recommendations, assuming that the older person in question is somebody who, uh, who wants to be treated for, for treatable conditions. And I mention this just because a certain number of older people who get quite sick are actually at a stage in their life where they're quite debilitated from a chronic condition. They might have advanced dementia or other circumstances that mean that perhaps trying to extend their life is not what's most important. So you, you want to bear that in mind, but assuming that it is in line with the person's health situation and preferences and goals of care to be treated for infections, in that case, you, you don't want to delay in recognizing potential influenza, in getting help from a medical professional, and in considering treatment with those anti-influenza drugs. Now, hopefully the doctors will appreciate your proactive approach and how well informed you are, but I'll be honest with you. In some cases, you may have to be persistent, especially if the doctor waves off your concerns or questions. And I did recently have somebody tell me about how, you know, when they asked questions of the doctor, the doctor's response was, what medical school did you go to? I hate it when that happens. Uh, it's not right that patients and families would get pushback especially when they're asking for care that is in line with guidance from the Center for Disease Control or another relevant expert group, but it does happen. So I hope this doesn't happen to you, but if you think it might, uh, you could consider bringing in a copy of the CDC's recent health advisory. And remember, it's always best to be as polite and appreciative as possible, even if the health provider is not behaving appropriately, because in that moment when someone's sick, you need you need their help. So being persistent and polite often goes a long way. And then uh, later, you can write a letter potentially to the clinic and outline your concerns about somebody's behavior. I think that's often the most effective way to address it. So I hope this will have been helpful to you and that you'll avoid serious illness from the flu. If you haven't been vaccinated, consider getting your seasonal flu vaccine. And then if an older person gets sick or feels unwell, remember to think about the flu and be ready to ask extra questions. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.